my brothers and sisters in the Lord, when pure love, divine love, agape, enters into a world turned in on itself, a world whose operating system is self-love, closed off by fear from any other possibility, such pure love is neither fully received or fully reciprocated. In such a fallen and rebellious cosmos, that pure love, that divine love, encountering indifference, denial, and rejection, is not welcomed with humility and delight, but it is refracted in suffering. Such pure love can only be fully expressed in a sinful and contorted world as sacrifice. For rational creatures whose will is wounded, that is, for you and for me, real love, pure love, agape, will always involve some kind of dying. St. John tells us that Jesus initiated this Last Supper with his disciples fully aware of what he was doing, fully aware of what this meal anticipated and made sacramentally present, fully aware that it was going to cost him. Further, the evangelist links this fullness of knowledge with a fullness of love, the real impetus of our Lord's action, commenting that Jesus loved his own and loved them perfectly or to the end. It is ironic that while the three synoptic gospels each offer an account of the Last Supper itself, complete with the details that St. Paul related in our second reading to the Corinthians, tonight, the night on which the church begins its solemn triduum with the Mass and the Lord's Supper, it is the account found in the fourth gospel that the church offers to us for our prayer. This passage from St. John recounts not so much the meal itself, but the action of Jesus, which anticipates and, and literally and sacramentally makes present that meal. Tonight, Jesus foreshadows by his act of humility the kind of love the Eucharist makes present and possible, embodying a new and eternal covenant. Yet it is a meal, which because it is a gift offered with the purest of love, in and on behalf of a world powerless to free itself from itself, and thus itself incapable of such an offering, it is also necessarily a sacrifice. A sacrifice whose completion or fulfillment and whose real cost will be made manifest tomorrow afternoon on Good Friday. Fully aware that his disciples, like many of us, were utterly clueless as to what he was about, Jesus has to explain to them the meaning of his action. In his kingdom, it's not about power or control or security or ease or comfort or warm feelings or efficiency or success. No, he establishes for us in himself a new pattern, a new way, a new love, agape, a kind of love we would never have figured out on our own. A love that we couldn't conjure up within ourselves even with Herculean effort. We are simply too turned in on ourselves. To have imagined such a love. 
In fact, St. Luke tells us that at the Last Supper, just after Jesus announced that one of them would betray him, the disciples got into a dispute about which one of them was the greatest. Can you imagine that, my brothers and sisters? They were so self-involved that when their master announced that he was going to be betrayed and then executed, they went on with their petty schemes of worming their way to the top of the ecclesiastical pyramid. The disciples are proud men, arguing over which of them is the greatest and the most remarkable man they've ever known, whom we have come to know as the very Son of God, wraps a towel around his waist, kneels down in front of each of them, including Judas, and washes their feet. Certainly, none of these 12 men arguing over who was the greatest of them would have performed this task. And so their master, whom Isaiah once described as Wonder Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, knelt in front of each one and quietly washed the crud from their feet. Only days before, Jesus had said to the twelve, Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. The disciples learned that night as never before, who was the greatest among them. And the meal that Jesus is about to share with them will become the sacrament, the efficacious living sign of what he will do on Friday afternoon and make that one perfect sacrifice of purest love perpetually present and available to us, his followers, not only as a wonder of our loving adoration and contemplation, but also as our very food and drink. But you see, my friends, the Mass is not simply a meal. The Mass is also a sacrifice. And it is a meal because it is first a sacrifice. The meal shared in the upper room that Thursday night has meaning only because of what was to be accomplished Friday afternoon on the hill outside of Jerusalem. We receive Christ's body and blood, but we also offer a sacrifice. More correctly, we join our sacrifice to his. In Christ's one sacrifice, his one perfect self-offering to the Father on our behalf, made real and present on the altar. But it is also our sacrifice, mine and yours, joined to his, offered through him and with him and in him. And this sacrificial dimension is too often overlooked. There are some who, for a number of reasons, cannot receive Holy Communion, but they can still offer. That is why attending Mass should not be thought of as an experience of passivity, just piously biding our time in preparation to receive. It is an action as well. It is an active offering, whether one is able to receive or not. And Jesus gives himself fully to his Father, so we too are asked to offer ourselves to God as well. Our love, however, unlike his, is far from pure, far from perfect. We're too self-centered, egotistical, insecure, envious, petty, lustful, ambitious, resentful, and the list goes on. And that is why for us, sharing in his love, his agape, will cost us too, just as it cost him. Real love Pure love 
in this falling cosmos will entail suffering. It will involve all kinds of little deaths. Death to my ambition, death to my willfulness, death to my self-constructed identity, death to my ego, death to my impulse constantly to judge, death to all my disordered passions and desires. And so because we offer this sacrifice through him and with him and in him, while living in but not of a world in rebellion against him, our self-gift, the offering of ourselves like his, will always cost us something. It will always involve for us a dying, a sacrifice. You see, my friends, hence the ancient dread, sadly muted in our own age, about approaching this altar unworthily. It is not primarily rooted in some vague concern about ritual purity, but in an authentic understanding of what the Eucharist truly is, and what it really means, and what it necess necessarily costs. Worthy to receive his body and blood is an act of rebellion against the ruler of this age, against our own trumped-up self-importance, against our own willing and half-willing complicity with the world's sin. And so to receive his body and blood without reflection as to its real cost, his death and our own, is to receive it at our own undoing. But worthy to receive his body and blood is to receive his charity, his agape, his love, precisely because we are receiving nothing less than Christ himself. We are freed from having to save ourselves, rescued from having to make sense of life for ourselves, liberated from having to prove ourselves, emancipated from having to do it all ourselves. Christ in us, as St. Paul says, the hope of glory. What began at our baptism is now continued, strengthened, and renewed by this greatest of sacraments. Jesus Christ, his life, his love, through us and with us and in us for the life of the world. Christ at our feet, God girded over the sufferings of men, a foreshadowing of the passion in the silence and in the hearts of the disciples. And in that tragedy, a gift, a man who gives himself, a God who leaves and remains, a sacrifice that is offered and simultaneously renewed. Tonight, my dear friends, from the bottom up, that is the perspective of Jesus kneeling before the apostles. We prostrate ourselves before the Eucharist. We love him, and we too kiss his feet. At his feet, we likewise atone for the offenses against the Blessed Sacrament, for so many bad communions, sacrilegious, distracted, lukewarm, for so much absent-mindedness, for so many visits that never took place, for seeking the water of the world and not the source that flows and runs from the bread of life. We ask you, forgive us, Lord. And we ask, we pray, to let ourselves be washed by you, not only our feet, but also our hands and our head and our whole soul. We pray for your priests and we pray for Christians throughout the world who die when they come to church to celebrate you and to receive you, have mercy on us all. We enter upon these holy days 
with the faith described for us in the letter to the Hebrews. Confident assurance about the things we hope for and conviction about the things we do not see. Strengthen our conviction, O Lord, that when we do see, we will rejoice at seeing the loveliness of your face.